As a working mum, the financial sacrifice we make by taking six to 12 months off generally for maternity leave is the Achilles heel of becoming a mum. And this week on the Working Mama podcast, we talk about the financial impact of motherhood with financial planner Deline from Maisie Wealth. Welcome to the Working Mama podcast, a show that provides real world tips, tricks and advice to all working mamas on how they can have a career, family and hopefully one day break the glass ceiling. Well, hey there, Mama. How's it going? Here's another episode of the Working Mama podcast. Family budgets are being squeezed more and more with childcare expenses and just general living overall. And so today I'm speaking with financial planner Deline Jacovides from Muzzy Wealth. Uh, she's a financial planner. And during this chat, we really talk about financial literacy for women and about how the foundation for any financial plan is actually your budget and living within your means. Yes, it sounds simple, but there's so many different layers to it. And Deline actually goes through this very succinctly, very simply, and gives so many hints and tips around financial planning and and how you can be financially fit. Um, I really love her quote about planning for your future self and not just about today. We also talk about childcare subsidies and we are both very passionate about childcare affordability and both uh, big advocates of the parenthood. So I hope you really enjoy this chat. And one of the biggest tips as well that I have to say from this episode is, well, you often hear about self-care and about fitting your oxygen mask first. Well, the same actually applies in finance and making sure that you get financially set up and that you're also financially secure before you actually do any other investments. I will put the caveat in this as well. This information in the podcast and the links, everything around it has been prepared for general information purposes and does not take into account any of your personal objectives, finances, financial situation or needs. It is not intended to provide commercial, financial, investment, accounting, legal or tax advice and you should seek uh, suitable and appropriate help um, where need be. A little bit about Delime. She is a wife, mum to two children and a financial advisor with 12 years experience. She recently started her own private financial planning business, Muzzy Wealth. She started this business after posting content on social media and identified that there was a demand from professional millennial families who wanted advice from someone who understands their challenges as she is going through many of the same challenges and balancing career and family. She wants to drive positive change for women and families and is a volunteer with the Parenthood and Committee for Women in Super in Queensland. In the financial planning space, she's also a mentor and on a number of government committees to provide that connection between financial advisors and the government. So I really hope you get so many hints and tips out of this, this episode. Be sure to grab a pen and paper and have fun. Welcome, Delene. Welcome to the Working Mama podcast. How's your day going so far? It's going good. It's busy like every other um, day, just like every other mother out there, I think. Yeah. Juggling lots of balls. Yeah. And so how would you best describe yourself? 
Yeah, that's a hard one, I think, to answer sometimes because, you know, I could describe myself like I'm a mother of two children. Um, I've got a two-year-old daughter and a four-year-old son. Yeah, I'm a wife. I'm a financial planner or a financial advisor in my day job. I've recently started my own business. So I'm I'm now, I guess, a business owner slash entrepreneur. And then, yeah, you know, daughter, I'm a sister and aunt like I could be yeah all of those titles um but yeah I have heard people you know try to use different ways of describing themselves not just like who they are and I think that's something I'm still working on and I think it's something that's a bit of a journey to kind of work out beyond those titles who am I (laughs) it's a bit deep to start with but yeah I guess that's about me as a title all those different titles and those different balls I'm juggling but yeah, still trying to work out all those, you know, behind behind all of that, who am I? There is a lot to it. And certainly our identity changes so much when we become a mum. And so what's, you said you're a financial planner and recently started your own biz, but what's been your career journey to date? Yeah, so I came from a family of fishmongers. So I was probably the first female to go to university in my broader family or finish university I should say a few of them started like cousins started but didn't quite finish so yeah I went to university and the main driver around that was I didn't want to be wearing fish boots and an apron for the rest of my life oh that's a good motivation (laughs) yeah So um, I went to university, studied business, and then while I was at uni, I did quite well in business stats and got a HD in that. And I thought, oh, I must be good with numbers. So I switched into finance. And then uh, when it was getting towards the end of my degree, I thought, what am I going to do with this finance degree? And uh, that's how I ended up working for a financial planner. And then that's kind of the start of my career. So I've uh, worked for a couple of boutique financial planning firms, so privately owned practices. And I've also worked for a couple of superannuation funds. Um, And yeah, more recently, uh, literally a couple of weeks ago, resigned from my employee role and then started my own financial planning um, private business. So that's only in its early stages, but looking forward to growing that. Just quickly, what made you make the leap to start your own business? Because I know that's something that often people will go, I'd love to do it, but Am I actually going to do it? But what's inspired you to actually start your own business? Yeah, in the financial planning space, there's not really much room for creativity. And so it's kind of like this is the way it's done. When you're an employee, you have to do it their way. So I'm kind of excited to start my own business and and do things a little bit differently. So you and I connected through social media. So that's an example. There's not a lot of financial planners on social media. So, yeah, I'm just wanting to expand that a bit more and do things a little bit my way and have a bit more control over that. I've worked with great businesses in the past that have had heaps of flexibility and that have been so supportive over my motherhood journey um, and my family life. So it wasn't anything to do with, you know, the hours and things like that. It was more just from a professional sense, having that control and um, and, and be, hopefully getting to be a bit more creative and do things my way. That's really interesting because usually a lot of people do Uh, create their own businesses based on family demands, but you're actually doing it from the opportunities you see in the marketplace, which is uh, really inspiring and also really exciting to see. Um, We were just chatting quickly before, you know, I do actually have a financial planner, but, you know, as we're saying, he's quite rigid and wouldn't even probably 
know what even social media is but yeah <laughs> um, as we'll get into uh, this episode there's so much information that particularly females need to know around financial literacy well what, let's just get into it now what do we need yeah. to know in terms of financial literacy so you know financial planners and financial planning is a big part and I know as parents we may not always do it to actually yeah. plan for because kids aren't cheap No. And I think a lot of the time we don't really plan ahead with our finances before we have kids. We just get pregnant or, you know, we go through, depending on our fertility issues, um, you know, we we just sort of just jump straight into it without really planning about the money side. Um, It's just unfortunate that money surrounds us every day. Like we need it to live. That's just the way it is. So we really do need to take an interest in it and care about it. So yeah, ideally you would want to think about your money before you have children. <laughs> so what I mean by that is if you are planning to take some parental leave and reduce down to one income, you'd want to ideally practice living on that lower income so that it's not such a shock for the family. So that's one example. Another thing we might want to do is look at, um, because we're going to talk a bit more about superannuation, we might want to plan for the gaps that we might have in our work career to make sure that our superannuation isn't going to be as affected long term. So yeah, there's a whole range of different things that we can do. And um, some other things, I guess, just to rattle off and we can go down and talk about those a bit more later on. Insurances. So we want to make sure that we are protecting our family and ourselves if something was to happen up to us. So if we passed away unexpectedly, if we had a disability, whether it was a short or long-term disability, or we suffered a critical illness, you know, like such as cancer, for example, like we want to minimise that impact um, to our family. While money can't take away that pain, it can help allow the family to grieve and not be financially stressed and financially burdened. So that's why we care about those things. And that also then leads into your estate planning. So making sure that's all tidied up. So again, we're not leaving our loved ones with this administration burden. So all these different things that we can look at before we even have kids, but we often wait till after we've had them or when we are pregnant. And that's okay. It's never too late to start. It's just around getting on to it once you identify there's a need to. Oh, great tips, great tips. And so if you already have kids and you may not have always done all that planning, what can you do? It always comes down to like the, the foundation for any financial plan is around those, uh, the, the budgeting and the cash flow. So we really need to make sure that we are living within our means. So if we are on one income or a one point something income because one person's part time, whatever the situation is, you really need to make sure that you're living within those means because if you are spending more than you earn, you will start creating uh, debt. So whether that's credit card debt or personal loans, you'll start creating a debt issue there that you'll have to repay later on. And that can spiral out of control with interest rates as well. So that's the key. That's the foundation. And then once you've got a surplus in income, that's when you can look at, well, what do you do with that money? Do we need to put some of that into superannuation to... um, fix any gaps we might have had along the way. And just to give you an example, if we had a a 30-year-old person who was earning $80,000 a year and they took a year off and therefore had no superannuation contributions 
for a year. What that looks like longer term is that we've got, you know, after about 30 years, so say we're 60 years old now, we've missed out on about $48,000 in interest. So that $8,000 we're putting in now at 30 years old is worth $55,000 at 60 years old. So you can see that's a huge gap, $55,000. That's a huge, huge gap. So if we take multiple breaks, this is going to make the issue even worse. And it's, I was actually only just reading an article this morning about the impacts of, you know, fathers actually taking more and more parental leave, which is great. And they're also saying about that super gap um, for women that are, that are actually leaving. And some organisations, and it's usually the, the larger consulting firms, are starting to pay uh, super while a, a woman or even a father's on parental leave. But still, you would say that, you know, majority of organisations still don't pay super while someone's on parental leave, which is just sad. But because as you say, it's $55,000 minimum um, mm. as they're out, um, you know, so maybe two kids, that's $100,000 when you go to retire. Like when if you're retiring on, you know, $60,000, $70,000 a year, that's like a year and a half's worth of income. Yeah, and that was assuming a 7% interest rate or investment rate. So if the super fund actually performs better than that over that 30 years, that could be a bigger gap. So, yeah, it's definitely a huge thing to consider. And, yeah, I agree that the majority of workplaces don't pay superannuation while on parental leave. And even the government doesn't pay superannuation on the parental leave payments, which is just crazy to me. We're in 2022 and they're still not paying it. So I will be looking forward to that um, being changed. Uh, I'm not sure if you're aware, I'm actually on the Women in Super Committee in Queensland, and um, those types of policies are things that we um, advocate and uh, fight for. So because uh, I guess we're talking about the beginning of the cycle, like having children, but the long-term impact is when women are retiring now, they've got about 40% less superannuation than men. And it is because uh, we're taking, women generally are taking the, the leave to have the children and then returning to work part-time as well. So more women are, are working part-time than men and that also creates a long-term issue. And that gap just widens. So as you say, at the start, it only may look like $8,000, mm. but if you're working part-time, you're having multiple kids, that just exacerbates over the over the lifetime. And also we're working longer um, typically these days as well, and we're going to probably retire later than our parents have. Yes. So, you know, over term as well, that's going to be less and less super. Um, yes. And, you know, sadly, not all marriages are happy. So you, you actually mm -hmm. do need that financial um, independence as well. Yeah, and I, I did want to touch on that. Some I do like to think of superannuation as a family asset. But, and, and, you know, it's okay that one person may have more superannuation than another person in the relationship, but that's only well and good if the relationship, like, lasts the entire, your entire life. If you separate them, there's other issues there as well. So this is where we can look at different strategies like superannuation splitting. So what that's all about, you may not have enough extra money to contribute into super to fund that gap. 
So that's say that that $8,000 we were talking about as an example, and I'm just using like an average income uh, level there. But yeah, we might not have $8,000 to put into our superannuation in a year because as we have already mentioned, kids are expensive. Um, but this is where if one person is still working in a full-time capacity and they've got contributions going into their fund, they can split some of that into the non-working parents superannuation. And the reason we might want to do that is to create some equality between the account balance So that's a great way to still contribute to super. Some other options we've got to contribute into super is things like the government co-contribution. So this is where we can put in $1,000 of our own money from our bank account, which only works out to be about $20 a week. It's not um, too much per week if you spread it out over the year. And you have to be earning less than a certain income um, income level. So it's around $55,000. I won't give specific amounts. You should go check the ATO website because it changes every year. But it's around about that $55,000. If you're earning less than that, the government will match 50% of that $1,000 up to $500. So we can't find a 50% return on our money anywhere. That that would be a super high risk strategy if you were to get a 50% return. So this is a great way to boost super if we are on a lower income. So this could be good for parents that are working part-time and also consider people who are maybe working only part of the year and then maybe going on maternity leave because it's all about the financial year, What, how much income you've earned that financial year. So it's always look, good to look at each financial year and see what your income levels are. And the last uh, major contribution for a low-income earner is the uh, spouse contribution. So this is where the higher-income earner can put some money into the lower-income earner's super if they're earning less than $40,000 in this instance, and then the higher income earner can get a tax offset in their tax return. So this one's not as good as the co-contribution, but there's kind of less rules around it. So you could do all of them or you could do none of them. It just depends on your personal circumstances. And I should just also mention this is general information and general advice. It's not specific to anybody's circumstances. So yeah, go do some more reading on the ATO website to see if it's something that may be applicable to your situation. (laughs) That's great. Great advice if you're, yeah, definitely if you're in that income bracket. And so with superannuation, it'd be amazing if companies could actually match it. What do you think is the barrier of why organisations don't do it, of what you're seeing and say being on the board of Women in Super Queensland? Yeah, I'm just, I don't know, to be honest. Like, obviously, it is a cost to the business, but by having happy employees, that's a lower cost longer term rather than having changeover in employees all the time. So I think there just needs to be this change systematically that everybody takes on. I think another issue is I see that with the men taking time off or, you know, wanting to take parental leave, like it's still not as widely accepted. There's still comments out there from colleagues or from management that aren't that supportive of it. So we really need to see that change. Um, I don't know if you see anything on your end, Karina, like what what do you think it is? Because <laughs> I, I don't really know. I, I'd love to see it as well. I 
think it's a little bit to do, yeah, with with perceptions, cost yeah. to the business of like, all oh, right, well, I'm not paying my employee. Why should I then pay the super contribution type thing? Uh, but when you think about, you know, super for what the average earner is, you know, and what the value returning mothers can be to an organisation. I was actually only having the conversation yesterday with a friend about they're typically working moms are very loyal. Often they're very grateful to have a job, which, you know, I'd, I'd love to actually people to say, no, you've, you've got every right to be there even when you were before you were pregnant. You're actually going to yeah. give more. You're, you've got so many skills by becoming a mum that, you know, time management, you get in, get your stuff done. And that, you know, for a relatively low contribution per week, like per month, yeah, I think it's definitely a cost thing. Um, and you're seeing mm-hmm. the bigger organisations do it because they want to be that employer of choice. And sadly, I think at the moment that you've got the top end of town that are willing to pay that pay those, you know, provide the parental leave, the 26 weeks and, and things mm-hmm. and, and the equal super they're attracting those employees, but I feel sorry for the SMEs that mm. may not be able to afford it. But then is there a fund, you know, from a financial planning perspective that they need to set up? Mm. I don't know about how they financially struck fund their businesses, but because it is a bit of the Achilles heel of, you know, becoming a mum. Mm. And this is where if we could get some super contributions on that paid parental leave, that would help fund the gap for a lot of families. Yeah. So that would be a huge help just allocating some of those tax payers money there and the trend and the outlook for families is that we are having less children and that's going to create a problem later on if when if we're not encouraging and supporting families to have children yeah later on that's going to be an issue trying to support people on social security and things like that so we really do need to support families and yeah the government needs to yeah, look after these people, I think. <laughs> and even if you take just a small number, like you said, for example, before 8,000 really can then turn into potentially, you know, 48, 50,000 minimum. When you think about what the average pension wage is, that's yes. like $8,000 is a lot less than giving it back later in pension, um, you know, later in life. So Absolutely. from a government perspective, actually looking at this from a high level systematic overview, a little bit of money here is actually going to save them long term mm. because, as you said, we've got reduced population growth. Uh, you know, what is it, 1.8 kids per household these days? Yeah. So you've actually got less kids. So that means there's going to be less, you know, income going to be from a government tax perspective to then fund people our age. So therefore, if they then spend eight thousand dollars now, that's going to they're going to be a lot better off financially as a government. Um, you know, in 30, 40 years time. If you're a working mum, you like if you're say paying on a grand parental leave or something like that, should you put that eight thousand dollars then into super to help then do that offsets, you know, to I guess overcome that gap potentially as well. Yeah, potentially. Like it all comes down to your individual situation though, because I, I do appreciate not everyone can afford to put away that eight thousand dollars right then and there, especially but it could be little increments even. Correct, yeah. Um, the government also recently came out with something called a catch-up concessional contribution. So what this was, um, what they sold it as was... Uh, like you said, sell. Yeah, because in reality, again, that's something different. But um, the way it was sold is that if you didn't use your full concessional cap, so you can put in $27,500 now as a deductible or pre-tax contribution, and that includes your employer super guarantee contributions. 
So it used to be 25,000, it's now 27 and a half. If we don't use the full amount, we can carry forward the unused amounts and use, them, use that in a future year. And the way it was sold is that people taking um, gaps in their work, they could then catch up on those contributions and add extra later. But I don't know about you, 27 and a half thousand dollars. I don't know if I've got that spare to just chuck into super. No, that's <laughs> the kind of money I'm like, I need now. Yeah, that's it. So it is all about small, consistent amounts if if we can do that. So before kids, ideally, that's when we can start, but it's never too late. So even if we've got kids in childcare, and like I said, you can only afford $20 a week, that's still $1,000 a year. That's all going to add up in the long term. So all small amounts will make a difference. And it doesn't have to be that it goes into superannuation either, because Money going into super is preserved and locked away until at least 60 years old. So we may choose to invest that outside of super. The tax rate is different, um, but at least that money is not locked away. So if you did need to access that in 10 years' time or something like that, it is available to do as well. So that's not just superannuation. It is. It could be looking at outside of super, but it's all about just putting those small amounts away for our future um, and taking care of our future selves, not just, uh, you know, on that rat wheel that we're on now with the kids. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Just, you know, think about our future selves and and things like that. And Childcare costs, I have to say, I definitely give a hit to a family budget. I've got two kids now in, in childcare and I could go on all day about the high cost of childcare. Yeah. What can we do like in terms of, I guess, also financial management with, with childcare? Because it's something that I know that I never actually realised how expensive it was going to be. And, and then also two kids, you're like, oh, my goodness. Mm-hmm. I know I have a perception on childcare cost is like just a family expense that it shouldn't be not, I hate the word should, but I look, my husband and I don't look at it as, well, that's how much I'm earning. That's what I'm going just to childcare. I look at it as, well, there's a lot that I'm contributing and, and things like that. Um, also super and, and family household, also my own mental health um, yes. of doing something outside <laughs> this. But yeah, what are the, like, do you have any sort of strategy, even budget or financial mm. strategies that people can either, that are planning to have kids prepare for childcare or even those that have already got kids um, from that yeah. childcare planning? Um, Well, I think you've hit the nail on the head that a lot of families do still consider it the mum's expense when it absolutely isn't. It is a family expense. So we really do need to make sure we've got that mindset shift there. And yeah, I guess in terms of, and like you said, all those other things that we're not we may not use in the calculations initially. So we don't sometimes include superannuation when we are working out what is our income after childcare expenses. And then also things like future promotions or future work opportunities. If we're not in the workforce for, you know, five years, we may miss out on those future earning potentials. And then, like you said, those non Uh, financial benefits like your mental health and stimulation and social interaction, all those things that we get from our work, that's really important. Uh, In terms of tips for budgeting and strategies and things like that, 
Yeah, there's not a lot. Like some people will ask me, can we salary sacrifice into our super to reduce our income to then get more childcare subsidy? Well, unfortunately, that's not a strategy because when we look at social security calculations, they will add back the amount you've salary sacrificed, kind of like when they're calculating your hex as well, if you have a hex debt or, or a help debt. Um, so we can't do anything like that. So it is just around making sure that you are doing a budget. And I know that's not a sexy word, but it is the foundation for any financial plan, as I mentioned before, because we need to make sure we are living within our means. And in the past, when we did have that annual cap on childcare subsidy, um, there used to be some strategies around making sure we put some of the, and when we ran out of that um, subsidy and, and hit that cap, we'd be charged full-time rates. So yeah, there used to be strategies around putting money aside for that. So it wasn't such a big hit later, but that's not really going to apply anymore as we've, as you alluded to. And certainly next month when those changes come through with the second child getting a higher subsidy, that will help. But I do think the whole system needs an overhaul. Um, I'm actually a volunteer with The Parenthood, which is an organisation, a not-for-profit organisation that are advocating for better childcare conditions and also um, subsidies for children, for, for families and also parental leave. So they advocate around that. Uh, so I volunteer around getting their name out there and yeah, so I'm on Women is Super and then with the Parenthood, I'm on both ends of the spectrum because it really is a bit of a journey. So, yeah, ideally we would want to see that whole system overhauled because just tweaking with the edges around reducing the subsidy for a second child, it's not really cutting it. It's not enough. Um, and like we've already talked about before, we really need to support families to have children so it's not an issue later on for the whole economy. Yes, yes, yes. I agree with everything you're saying. I'm, I'm also um, a massive fan and advocate of what the work that Parenthood are doing. I've sent, um, thanks to their templates, you can actually send letters off to your MPs and, and things yes. like that. So I'll actually put a link to the Parenthood in the show notes. So you can also sign up for their mailing list, also link into their um, social media and things like that because the more advocacy we can support them on, particularly with an election coming up, um, to try and beat the drum around the childcare subsidy and also the systems that are in around this. You know, you can't actually have parental leave without the support of childcare because sadly you, there is a cliff of women leaving workplaces um, because yeah. of the super, because of the pay inequality, because of the high childcare costs. It's just terrible and really sad that you're seeing these women you know, often highly educated that give great, amazing contributions to society, but just lost um, because yeah. of the high cost of living. And I, I do remember what I was going to talk about with you earlier on. You were talking about like women being or mums being so productive as well once they go back to work. And I find especially part-time working mums, I reckon they are the best bang for buck for any organisation. They are the most efficient people I know. Um, and, yeah, workplaces should absolutely support support that flexibility because they're getting an excellent deal. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, so I just wanted to touch on that and agree with you. Yeah. Yeah, it's oh. great for the economy if we can have all our all these mums back at work. If you want to, though, obviously, if you don't want to go back to work full-time or you don't want to go back to work for a while or at all, like that's your personal choice, that's your family choice, and you should not feel judged whatsoever. Um, but this particular co- podcast is around uh, women that want to have that connection with their workplace still and and. Yeah, and their work and, and families. <laughs> yes, and hats off to all stay-at-home mums because I oh, think yes, you're absolutely yes. superheroes. I can't do it. Like hands Neither. on, I'll say it, I can't do it. I need my job. So if you're listening as stay-at-home mum, you actually deserve to be paid and a hell of a lot of money as well. So. 100%. Yeah, the unpaid domestic labour is huge. It's yeah. absolutely massive. So, um, yeah, it's definitely there. But, no, there's so much that we can do and definitely organisations get really good bang for their buck because also I think then there's also a financial element to that as well because organisations are getting, say, mums, like, for example, for me, I work three days a week. I've had my my manager internationally has said, you, what I get out of you, I get out of other people in five days a week. Mm. So they're actually, they're getting a lot for actually quite a little, you know, a lot less money. So Yeah, um, yeah I know when I worked part-time, I was the same. I would still have the same amount of clients I needed to service, but I was doing it in three or four days, depending on what period of time I was in, um, compared to five days before kids or even when I went back to five days. It was the same amount of clients, but the difference was I didn't have as much, um, like, fluffing around in between, like, talking with colleagues and, you know, all that sort of stuff in the office. It was really just get in, get my job done and get out of there because I didn't have time to muck around really so yeah they're getting the same output it just with um less fluff in between I like to call it I agree even when I've increased like to four or five days and I've had to I'm like oh I've done what I need to do for like you know my task list and I've got three things I'm like there's a lot of fluff that you forget that you have so definitely working mums you know there's there's a lot of advantage to that unfortunately on the off on the um, flip side less money less super and and things like that also just going back to the childcare staff I should have written all this down it's just sort of coming to me as we talk while there's not a lot we can do to reduce our subsidy or increase it I should say to get a better subsidy uh, we do need to be careful that what I'll often see is that we may have families who have um, you know potentially like an investment property or these other assets and then they have kids and then they want to offload some of those assets because they need you know, the equity that's been built up or they just want to simplify things. We just need to be careful if we are doing that. That can cause a childcare subsidy issue because the capital gains on those investments get added to our regular work income and then that can cause an issue in terms of cutting us off from getting any childcare subsidy potentially or reducing the amount of government benefit we get. So it is always a good idea if you if you have any sort of childcare benefits to go get some financial advice before making any big changes in regards to assets at that period of time. Mm. Thank you very much for that because I sold my investment property while I was actually on maternity leave for that very reason uh, yeah. to try and reduce yeah any, you know, even though I've still got to do the capital gains at the moment, it's still a pain in the bum. But yeah, it's one of those things we did actually say we'll sell it while I was on maternity leave for that very reason to try and reduce the income where possible. Great work. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> and so as women, often when I'll just let the, the husband or my partner look after the financial numbers, yes. 
do you see that as common? Um, and Not then- really. Yeah. No. I think in the past it used to be like the men would take control of the money, but I do think that has shifted a lot and the women are more the CFO of the family these days. So We've got I the do- strings. We're the decision makers. Yeah, 100%. Um, so I do see more women being more involved in the day-to-day finances in terms of paying bills and the budgeting and all those sorts of things. Where there's a difference is I find, and the research supports this as well, men are more likely to invest um, and but and women are less likely to. They're better at like the day-to-day financial stuff, but when it comes to that longer-term investments, that's where the men generally are more like risk-takers. But that's certainly changing. The research does show that women in the last couple of years with COVID have definitely stepped up and are are investing more for their futures. So that's really great to see. And what I see as well in the younger age groups as well are that the yeah, the, the the females typically tend to be better, better with the money and the the men are more spendthrift, I guess, <laughs> cars and things like that, going out with their mates. Yeah. So um, there's, I definitely think there's been a shift in those younger age groups. We need to support, you know, our sons and things like that in the future to make sure that they make smart decisions and don't blow their money in the future. <laughs> I need to do that with both of my boys and, and get them um, financially savvy. That's for sure. Yeah, still young. They'll they'll yeah. learn from watching you. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully. I know that I definitely got a lot of influence off my parents on their um yeah. some of their financial investments and things like that. So um following their their shoes. So yeah. is there anything else in relation to financial planning, superannuation and things like that for you know not only working mums but also working parents um that we should consider and also plan for? Yeah, I think the, the the last message I want to leave you with today is that I often hear so many parents wanting to invest for their children and invest for their future. And that is great. But I really do think that it is more important to have a financially financially secure household with you and your partner or, you know, just yourself if you're a single parent, um, that is more important than putting money away for your kids in the future. So there's no point putting money away for them if you can't live comfortably yourself. I always use the analogy that when you're on a plane, they say to fit your own oxygen mask first before you put it on your children. So that's exactly the same with finances. You need to make sure you don't have any credit card or personal loan, like any of those sorts of debts. Um, You've got you know, security in terms of um, a roof over your head. So, you know, having that secure um, that you have, yeah, regular income coming through, you're living within your means, insurances are sorted. So if anything does happen to you, that your kids will be looked after because that is, you know, they are expensive. We've already touched on that. Um, And then also those estate planning things. So it's just making sure that all these things are tidied up and looked after first before you invest for your kids because you don't want to end up being, your kids don't want to be your retirement plan if you haven't looked after yourself first. So that's, I guess, the final message I want to leave today. So important as what you said as well a couple of times, you know, plan for your future self and not just about for today. And I guess that's also a big part of financial planning and Mm. um, definitely financial planners are, you know, 
they are worth it to help you um, get there. Um, think about them as your financial coach, I'd also say. Yes, absolutely. Thank you. <laughs> so what do you do for uh, self-care? <laughs> I don't have a lot of hobbies, uh, but uh, I do try to, I've been getting back into my exercise again, which you've probably seen on social media. So yeah, I just try to make time for myself because when I feel good, I will be better for everybody else around me. So yeah, trying to move my body every day, even if that's just a simple walk. Uh, Other times I'll, yeah, want to take it up a notch and do like a hit circuit style, but yeah, just move my body some way. And this might sound really pathetic, but just, I like having organization in my life. So I like having a clean house and or tidy house and you know papers put away so that is actually self-care for me having organized an organized life so that my brain is less cluttered as well so it's not very exciting but that's what it is <laughs> hey it's whatever works and it's the physical as well as the mental aspects um it's amazing you know clean mind can also yes. um, help us in so many other ways even physically as well so yeah and as a luxury i'll also go get a massage every now and then so yeah i'd like to do that more often it's just finding the time to do that which is yeah pathetic <laughs> time is definitely a commodity that i I know more working mums would love to have more of. Now, Delight, thank you so much for your ch- uh, chat today. Where can people find out more about you and also contact you given that you've got your own new business? Thank you. Um, yeah, so a few different ways. I have my website that's just launched, which is muzzywealth.com.au. Uh, muzzy means together in Greek. So I'm going with the vibe that we're, you know, looking after your finances together uh, and managing that together. So it's not just me dictating to you what to do. It's really, you know, a a partnership. So my website, um, my Instagram, I recently changed name. I used to be Budget Boss Babies, but I've changed that to the business name now, which is uh, Muzzy Wealth with an underscore at the end. (laughs) And then my LinkedIn, you can find me Delene Jacobides on there. And that's pretty much all my socials. Sensational. Well, best of luck for the new business. Uh, Sounds very exciting. And I know it's going to be great. And definitely you're a breath of fresh air into speaking to financial planners. So keep it up. And uh, thank you so much. And keep advocating for working mums and your roles. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's been great. I love talking about finances. So thanks for letting me do that today. (laughs) My pleasure. Thank you for listening to the Working Mama podcast. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast catch up. I invite you also to join the Working Mama community on Facebook and join in the conversation with other like-minded working mums. Please also feel free to contact me on any of the Working Mama social channels. Remember, Mama is M-U-M-M-A or website www.workingmama.com.au. I would appreciate you to share this podcast with friends and colleagues, especially those that are parents managing the juggle. And I would really appreciate if you had to take the time out to leave a review of the podcast. I'll be giving a shout out to select people that do so. So stay listening and you might be one of them. Thank you and see you next time. Have a great week.